silent nights with Joseph dreaming, and we're going to end it the same way today. Joseph is dreaming again. In fact, we're going to see that Joseph has three more dreams. They're God-given dreams, and I don't mean aspirational. I mean the type of dreams that you have when you are sleeping. Now, I reminded you in that first message that the assignment that God gave to Joseph was going to be stressful, it was going to be taxing, it was not going to be easy. And today you're going to see what I'm talking about as we study this passage. If you'll go back to the same chapter we were in last week, Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to pick up right where we left off last week, uh, we see here in what we're going to read that following Jesus is not always an easy endeavor. Now it's full of joy, but sometimes it's downright dangerous. And we see that here today in our passage. Uh, From a human standpoint, the child, the Lord Jesus, is in danger. Now, before we read, let me remind you of where we are in the story. The wise men have just paid a visit to uh, Jesus. They presented their gifts to him, those gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then they were warned in a dream to not return to Herod, but to go home another way. And there's where we are. We find ourselves now in Matthew chapter 2, Uh, beginning at verse number 13. And it says there, Now when they had departed, that is the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all of its districts from two years old and under, according to the time when he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what the Lord was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, And go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, 
took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now this is a very interesting passage of Scripture. You've got to remember as we're studying it today that what we're thinking about, what we're looking at, what we're talking about is God taking care of God. Let me further explain. We have God the Father caring for God the Son, making sure that God the Son is kept safe. Now listen, Jesus was still God when He came as a man. He became the perfect God and perfect man joined together. But when He came as a man in His humanity, that included the possibility of death. In fact, that is the reason that He came. He came that He might die. But death was not to be at the hand of this wicked monster Herod as a young child. No, He was going to die later on a cross for you and for me. And so God entrusted the protection and the care of Jesus into the hands of Joseph and Mary. Joseph, his legal father, his adopted father, if you will, was responsible for ensuring Jesus' safety as a child. And Joseph took that responsibility very, very seriously. And as we see this part of Jesus' story unfold, remember here that he is a young child. He's probably a toddler at this time. And I want you to notice the three ways that God the Father cared for God's, God the Son. Would you notice, first of all, as we are looking at this passage, notice God's provision. God's provision. When you have a trip to take, you know you're going to be going on a trip, what do you do? Well, if you're wise, you'll prepare for that trip. And you'll especially prepare for the cost of that trip. Traveling is expensive. Has anybody found that to be the case lately? Traveling is expensive. But what about those trips, those emergency trips that rise that you really are not prepared for, you're not ready for, we can't really prepare for them like we want to? Well, that's what happens here. We have Mary and Joseph, and they're facing a trip that they knew nothing about. Uh, they're going to have to take it by night to protect, protect Jesus. They didn't have any time to prepare but God had already made preparation for them. We studied last week, if you remember, or you may remember generally in the story, these wise men come and they present gifts to the Lord Jesus. Ian Campbell noted they presented gifts of gold, suitable for a king, frankincense, suitable for a priest, and myrrh, a symbol of suffering and death that appears in John 19.39 as an ingredient in the burial of Jesus. He said, what we know of the significance of these gifts is not told us. And, and what they knew, we didn't, we're not sure. They just simply offered these gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's what they brought the Lord Jesus. I saw a cartoon where the three wise women, they brought diapers, casseroles, and formula. But anyway, the three wise men, they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And these gifts were more than just nice treasures they were no doubt used to fund the trip to Egypt. 
We know from what we've observed from Mary and Joseph, they were not a wealthy couple. They were not a couple of means. But God ensured that they had the necessary funds, the preparations in place to take them from where they were to where they needed to be in order to protect this young child, the Lord Jesus. God's provision. And then we see next that God the Father cared for God's, God the Son in providing guidance. Guidance. Leadership. In a dream, Joseph is told to take his family to Egypt. And he's told to stay there until Herod, um, you know, until he gets further direction. We know from the Scripture uh, he would be directed again when Herod died. So what does Joseph do? He takes them by night and he goes to Egypt. Now the question is, why Egypt? Why did God send this family to Egypt? Well, we know the Scripture tells us that he was fulfilling prophecy. We know that it was prophesied that out of Egypt has he called his son, but he also had made preparations for them again that they knew nothing about. It's interesting. The scholars tell us that Egypt, Egypt was a natural place of refuge at this time. Its border was just 70 miles from Bethlehem, though the nearest town was about 150 miles. It, it provided escape from Herod's hatred. Herod had no authority there. Furthermore, here's what's interesting. There was a large Jewish population there as well as a substitute for the Jewish temple. In other words, preparations had already been made by God the Father to protect and to sustain this family and God the Son. And then, you know, if we fast forward in the story, we know that Joseph had two more dreams. You ever wonder if Joseph was afraid to go to bed at night? Wondering what in the world's going to happen next. And those two more dreams bring them to Israel and then specifically brings them to Nazareth because Jesus would be called uh, that he was one of, uh, from Nazareth. Interestingly, Tom Constable pointed out that in many ways the Lord Jesus reminds us of Moses. He said in many respects Jesus recapitulated Moses' life and Moses' experience. You remember Moses had also been a target of the ruler of his day who sought to destroy him and all the other male Hebrew babies by ordering them to be killed. That's back in the book of Exodus. Matthew, he said, one of his readers deceived Jesus as a second Moses as well as the true Israel. So interesting to follow Jesus' life. God is directing their steps all along the way. And it brings us to the third way that we see God the Father caring for God the Son. He did it through provision. He did it through guidance. And then we see that He did it through His protection, God's protection. Herod was a wicked, cruel ruler. Now we read this and we find this to be quite shocking. The thought that um, He's going to put to death these precious little boy babies. But it would not be shocking to those during that day who really knew Herod. Herod was a monster in many ways. Chuck Swindoll said, such brutality was business as usual for this monster. Michael Green notes that Herod slaughtered, listen to all he did, he slaughtered the last remnants of the Hasmonean dynasty of Jewish high priestly kings who had ruled before him. He executed more than half of the Sanhedrin. He killed 300 court officers out of hand. Listen to this one. He executed, he executed his own wife, her mother, 
and his sons. Three sons. He had them put to death. Finally, by the way, he couldn't get enough of this. Finally, as he lay dying, he arranged for all the noblemen of Jerusalem to be assembled in the Hippodrome and killed as soon as his own death was announced. He had them waiting, and when he died, he had them put to death. This guy was a wicked, brutal, cruel, I would say satanically inspired monster. And it was nothing for him to say put to death all of the precious baby boys, he wouldn't use the word precious, by the way, put together all the male children, two years old and younger. This dude would think nothing of killing little babies. Sadly, we got a lot of people today in our world who think nothing of killing precious little babies. If you're like me, you may be wondering well, how many babies were killed. I'll be honest with you, until I studied this out, I always kind of thought it was a large number of babies that were killed. But in actuality, it was probably likely far fewer. Wearsby noted that there were not that many male children of that age in the small village of Bethlehem. Even today, only about 20,000 people live there. It is likely that not more than 20 children were slain. I always thought it was like hundreds of children. But in reality, when you look at the population, when you consider how many would be of that age, it would be a small number. But as he noted, one is too many. But that's Herod for you. And beloved, this is the way that our world welcomed its Creator. This is the way the world welcomed our Savior. Seeking to destroy Him. He was indeed a man acquainted with sorrow and grief even from a very early age. This is how much God loves us. This is how much Jesus loves us to endure all of this for you and for me. We've got to hurry. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But I want to remind you of something as we think about this today. And it's simply this. God does this for all of His children. If you're a child of God, if you've received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, if God is your Heavenly Father, I've got to remind you today that God provides for you. Every day. Every moment. God provides for you. Furthermore, God guides your life. You know, we see in the life of the Lord Jesus and Mary and Joseph here, God was working beforehand to prepare a lot of things that they knew nothing about. And the same is true for you and for me. God goes before us, if you will, and He straightens out the path and makes preparations and He guides our life. Sometimes He does it in ways that we understand and sometimes He does it in ways that we don't. But God is going ahead of us and God guides our life and our steps. And then, more than we'll ever really know, God protects us every single day. It would be interesting, would it not, to really know how many times God has protected us and we know nothing about it. In fact, every time you get on the road and you go somewhere, God protects us. 
especially with all these young drivers that we have in our congregation. Just getting out of the parking lot alive, God protects us in so many ways. It doesn't always seem this way. It doesn't always seem that God is so active in our life, but He is. God is doing so much in our life that we never know about, never understand, and never recognize. Because He loves us that much. He's providing for us. He's guiding us. He's making preparations for us. He's protecting us. He's preparing us. He's doing all these things. You know, as I thought about this, I thought about the Lord Jesus and what Mary and Joseph went through. It was stressful. It was taxing. But God was with them every step of the way, literally. And I thought about our life. You know, a verse came to mind. And this verse was not even in the canon of Scripture. It had not even been written yet. Paul would write it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And though it was not yet in the Bible and not yet in the New Testament, it was in the heart of God. And I think it summarizes what we're talking about today. And it's Romans 8.28 where it says, And we know that all things work together for what? For good. For good to those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. Now, you've got to be careful here. It does not say that all things are good. Because not all things are good. Butchering little babies is not good. Murder and rape and theft and all the things we see in our world, those things are not good. But it doesn't say all things are good, because they're not. But it does say that for the believer, for the child of God, God works out all things for good. That's the marvelous thing about our God. He can take those things that are horrible in our lives and He so weaves them and orchestrates them and directs them and ties them all together to where they come out for our good and for His glory. And we don't always understand that. And we don't always understand how that could be the case. But remember, He's God and we're not. We don't have to understand it all. We simply trust Him and obey Him. I have to understand or think that you know, Joseph was a man and he no doubt loved Mary. He loved Jesus. But I, I imagine these days were tough. I mean, imagine you go to bed and then in the middle of the night you've got to flee to Egypt and stay there for you don't know how long and then come back and then go here and then go there. And your life is not what you thought it was going to be. And there's an uncertainty about it all. But in reality, God had them completely and totally in His hand. And He was going to let nothing and no one touch them. He was going to protect them. And i got to remind you today as a child of God that God holds you in His hand. And before anything or anyone is allowed to touch you, it must first be filtered through God your Father. We see that in the life of Job. If you're having a rough week, go back and read Job. You remember that Job was a righteous man and he served God and loved God and he loved his family and he did all that he could to direct his family in righteousness. And yet the enemy came accusing Job. And you remember every time before Satan was allowed to touch Job, he had to have God's permission. And God would put a limit on it. This far and no more. This far and no more. And the same is true of you and me. God holds us in His hand. And no one and nothing 
is going to touch your life without the Lord's permission. You say, well, why does he allow some things? Because he's all wise and all loving. And he's going to work it all together for our good and his glory. And there are some things, and I've told you this, and I, and I hope you're not tired of hearing it. You might be. I feel like a broken record. But there are some things we're never going to learn and some ways we're never going to grow except through hardship, except through suffering, except through pain. And we grow so much in those ways. I would dare say if we had a testimony time and we were to open it up this morning, there would be story after story of how God sustained you and God blessed you and God brought you through trials in your life and how God provided for you. Why? Because you were in a difficult spot and yet God was there. Just like Mary, just like Joseph, just like the Lord Jesus here, they were in a very difficult spot, but God was there. In their case, literally, they were holding Him. But God the Father was there orchestrating, guiding. No doubt God the Holy Spirit was going before clearing the way. They were working for their good. For God's glory. And can I remind you in this story, they were working for our good. Why? Because the Lord Jesus survived. And He grew up. And He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. And He went about teaching and preaching and calling those to repentance and announcing the kingdom that was coming. And then as a grown man, He perfectly, graciously, lovingly voluntarily laid his life down on the cross, shed his precious blood, died, and then rose again victorious and is alive forevermore. God's in charge, beloved. Never forget that. God loves you. Never forget that. I don't know what 2024 will hold for us. And I know it sounds cliche, but it's still true. We don't know what it holds, but we know who holds it. And we know who holds us. And He, ever, he forever will. And we can trust Him and serve Him and love Him and lean on Him, knowing that He loves us and will provide for us and guide us and protect us. As we come to the Lord's table today in just a moment, there's so much to be thankful for. There's so much to praise Him for. And I, I want us to do that and I want us to take a moment before we call the men up that are going to serve today and just allow us to prepare our hearts just to do business with God, to pray and ask forgiveness, to make sure we have clean hands and clean hearts and that we're ready to, to eat the bread and drink the juice and to remember the Lord Jesus and to join with our brothers and sisters as one in Christ. And so as you're there in your pew, would you bow and would you just talk to the Lord and prepare your heart Ask for forgiveness, confess, whatever it is that you need to do to get ready as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together.